0: Hey, you guys i'm so excited to be here this morning continuing the ecclesia series where we're looking at the different images metaphors and pictures of the church and how that informs our lives uh, as a community and what it looks like to be on mission together the first week of the series richard taught on the church as the body right and what that means about the fact that we're diverse but called to unity as we live in relationship with one another and in the second week of the series craig Uh, talked about the church as the bride, and that's our relationship with Christ and how uh, Christ loves us. And this week, I'm so excited to talk to you guys about the church as the flock. So today we're going to be looking at John chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to pull that out. Um, If not, the verses are going to be on the screen. And so I'm going to read for us uh, John 10 verses 2 through 15. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of of speech But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay, so first, I want to acknowledge the big elephant in the room here, and that is that we are a church in the middle of a big city like Jersey City, next to an even bigger city, New York City, right? So what on earth do sheep and shepherds have to do with us? If you're asking yourself this question, just know you are not alone. I had the same question. So what I'd love to do is zoom out and talk a little bit more about the context of this passage and the context of sheep and shepherds. So to start, the Bible mentions shepherds or shepherding shepherding over 200 times. And this particular passage is based off of an Old Testament passage where it talks about God as the shepherd. Um, in this passage, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And to me, this is what's so interesting about this passage because the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, Jesus is talking to them, so the Jewish people at the time, they're the church, right? He's talking to the then church about the church. Um, and while shepherding used to be a really prominent role, especially um, during the Old Testament time, by Jesus's time, agrarian culture had become more and more important, which meant that shepherds had become more low class and coarse, especially in view of the Roman Empire. So that's the context of shepherds. Now, when we move over to sheep, we see that sheep are mentioned over 500 times in the Bible, more than any other animal. Uh, and if you're like me and you didn't grow up on, on a farm, we are going to need some fast facts about sheep. So um, I did some research for us And the first thing that we need to know is that sheep are flock animals. Uh, They're designed to live in a pack and community. They have this quickness to flee and panic, especially in the face of danger, which means they're especially um, designed and um, have this natural inclination to follow a leader or a protector. Um, Sheep have great facial recognition, uh, especially of humans, but quite frankly, uh, when it comes to making good decisions, sheep don't have the best skills there, even um, in making good decisions around necessities like food and shelter and water. So in short, in order to survive, sheep really need a shepherd that they can follow. And while this parable is pretty vague in the beginning of the text, Jesus becomes more and more explicit as he continues to explain to the Pharisees what this means what this all means. And so we know from reading it that God is using this image to show us that Christ is the shepherd, um, which ultimately means that in this picture, we, the church, are the sheep. So if I'm being honest, when I read those facts about sheep and how they're unintelligent animals and kind of useless when left to their own devices, there's a part of me that wants to dismiss the flock image entirely. Sure, I like the idea of a good shepherd, but um, the idea of following someone else's guidance uh, because i can't make my own good decisions um, because i'm not smart enough i don't really love that part right and i think it's important that we ask the question why why do we reject this idea of following a shepherd even when it's described as good now i think we might react strongly against this because we think we're smarter than this image we think so highly of ourselves Uh, which makes us think that we're not like these dumb sheep, right? We don't, we're the one sheep that maybe doesn't need to follow a shepherd or need other sheep. Um, We think that we understand our needs better than anybody else does. And that makes us think that we're the exception rather than the rule. And it makes us think that we're smarter than God, uh, even in these scenarios. But if we're honest, we can admit that there's a lot we don't know about our needs. After all, we can't predict the future. And our pride, our pride blinds us from truly understanding and it causes us to overestimate and overvalue our own wisdom. And it doesn't really stop there. Our pride tells us the lie that we don't need people. After all, we're so smart, right? Uh, and in the event that we actually have this realistic understanding of what our needs are, our pride stops us from asking for help. It's this one-two punch with devastating uh devastating results that really just leaves us alone and isolated. Or maybe we reject and react against this because we value our independence more than we value almost anything else. The idea of following a shepherd feels like we're being restricted, right? That we're being asked to live by a rigid set of rules that somebody else made. Um, We want to do what we want, when we want, how we want, the way that we want, right? And in this independent Western world, We are so consumed by the idea of individualism and the idea of freedom and independence. Um, We've heard that word thrown around a lot this year, right? Freedom, um, that our freedoms are being stripped away by this or that thing. And I think we value freedom and independence because the alternative dependence, quite frankly, it scares us. Dependence requires us to be vulnerable and it really gives the opportunity for somebody to hurt us. And we'll do almost anything to make sure that we don't owe anything to anyone or that um, we don't have the opportunity to be hurt by others. We have this fear of depending on others and that fear makes us settle for cheap freedom. Cheap freedom is where we keep everybody at a distance, but we call it independence. But really that leaves us and others alone unhappy, and in serious need of help and direction. What if real, true freedom is found in understanding how we were designed and living that way? What if we have, to, we have something to learn from these unintelligent animals? In other words, what if freedom is actually found in this image of the church being the flock and that what if freedom is found in following our good shepherd and not rejecting him? What if freedom is found in God telling us how he designed us to live with him and others? And as Jesus said in verse 10, that we might have life and have it to the full. This passage is about the relationship between a good shepherd and his flock. It shows us what it's meant to look like. And being the church means that we follow Christ. He's our shepherd. And in this passage, Christ shows us that there are three things necessary to follow him. The three things are, we need to know his voice, we need to follow his ways, and we need to be the flock together. We need to know his voice, we need to follow his ways, and we need to be the flock together. So first, we need to know his voice. Now, sheep might not be the smartest animals, but we do know that they have great uh, voice recognition abilities. They know the voice of their shepherd so well that they also know when the voice is not their shepherd, that they're hearing. And in verses four and five, Jesus is talking to the gatekeeper and he says, When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. What's implied here is that the sheep know the voice of their shepherd so well that they even know when the voice they're hearing is not their shepherd. And they know that because they're spending so much time listening to him and knowing him that they know it without a doubt. Church, what are we doing to know Jesus's voice? Are we spending time in scripture and in prayer to hear what God has to say to us? And once we know God's voice, that's when we really, really start to more easily identify the thieves and robbers and hired hands that Jesus is talking about in the text. These are the idols, the things that we love more than God that we think are going to fulfill us, but ultimately end up stealing our joy and leaving us empty. This can be a lot of different things, but sometimes it's our work, right? Um, Maybe it's a relationship, a dream, whatever it might be for you. These are the things that the enemy, the thieves, the robbers, and the hired hands, these represent what the enemy is trying to do to steal, kill, and destroy us. Church, what are we doing to identify the thieves, robbers, and hired hands in our lives? And once we've identified them, what are we doing to run from them, just like it talks about in the text? One of my favorite songs has lyrics that talks about this deception of the thieves, the uh, robbers, and the hired hands. The lyrics say, sometimes the devil sounds a lot like Jesus, telling telling me that I'm not enough. Sometimes the devil sounds a lot like Jesus telling me I'm not enough. We've got to know the difference between Jesus's voice and the voice of our enemies. Otherwise, we'll be tricked into believing that our good shepherd is trying to steal, kill, or destroy us. Or that the thieves, the robbers, and the hired hands can care for us in the way that our good shepherd does. And that's just simply not true. You see, the sheep follow the shepherd's voice, not because he's any old shepherd, but because he's a good shepherd. And we see this goodness so clearly in another New Testament passage where Jesus is talking about sheep and shepherds. In Luke 15 verses four through seven, Jesus is again talking to the Pharisees. And this is what he says to them. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Jesus' voice is worth following because he's not sitting over to the side, just spouting out orders and rules for you to follow. He goes out to the very place that we are right now, and brings him brings us to himself and to the flock. To follow Jesus, we need to know his voice so intimately that we're able to run from the cheap freedom that we're offered by the strangers and instead follow the voice of a good shepherd who has given us not only his voice, but his his very self. And once we know him, we'll be able to we'll be able to and then we'll need to follow his ways. And that's the second thing necessary to following our shepherd. It's to well, actually follow his ways. And what I mean by that is to put into practice what he's teaching us. It's to take seriously what he says and then to do it. In verses four and five, Jesus talks again um, about the sheep knowing his voice, but this is what he says. He says, uh, He says that he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him. I don't want us to miss this church. It's not just about knowing his voice. In this passage, the sheep are active participants. They're choosing to follow the voice of the shepherd. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. That means it takes faith to know Jesus's voice and to know it's worth following and to believe it's worth following. But our faith is only faith when we respond in obedience to what Jesus is asking and saying. In verse nine, Jesus says, "'I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. "'They will come in and go out and find pasture.'" And I think as independent Westerners, our point of view might be limiting our understanding and perspective of this verse in this text. When we hear verse nine, we might get caught up on the gate, the fence, the narrow path in and and out of an enclosed area, right? But in relationship to the shepherd, this verse in this passage is the epitome of freedom that we're offered in Christ and in a relationship with him. You see, the shepherd is leading the sheep in and out of the gate to find pasture. He's going ahead of them to show them where they can find not just the things that they need, like shelter from midday heat or water or food. He's showing them where they can have a pasture, where they can find delight. See, the gate and the fence aren't traps. Uh, their protection from the environment that the sheep aren't meant to live in, the place where there's wild predators, the scorching sun, um, even lakes where they can drown, the environments that they're just not made for. The sheep aren't trapped. They were free because they were living in an environment where they were made to live and following a shepherd who cared for them so much that the shepherd orients and builds his entire life around not just meeting their needs, but leading them into a pasture where he can delight with them, where they can be with him. And that's the same for us. The Bible is our guide or our manual on how God designed us to live. It's not a book meant to stifle us um, or a book of rules to take away our freedom. God made us and therefore he knows what we need. And he's a caring father who not only knows what we need, but delights in caring for us and knows how to take care of us if we're willing to let him by responding in obedience to what he says. And because he loves us so much, he didn't leave us in the dark, right? He gave us his word in the Bible, but he went further to give us himself in Jesus. God designed the church to, yes, be a bunch of sheep who individually know his voice, but he designed us to be together and to respond together in following his ways. That's what makes us a flock. And that's why the third thing necessary to following Christ is that we be the flock together. This picture of the church is the flock. And I think that's really important for us to talk about today. It's not about one singular sheep. That's not the image of the church. God meant for us to be together and we aren't designed to be alone or isolated. or living in complete independence from other people. We know that because of this passage and what we know about sheep. Just like I mentioned earlier, sheep are gregarious animals. They're made to live in a group together. They're made to help one another and protect one another. But we also know that sheep are prone to wander. Left to their own devices and without a shepherd, they can easily wander off from the flock. But that's really dangerous for sheep because it makes them easy prey for predators and thieves and robbers like we talked about. And what's interesting is that even uh, with their own good ideas, they can wander off and that could be dangerous. For instance, they can wander off to the lake to go get a drink of water, but they don't understand how far to wade into the lake and they can cause themselves to die and drown. So honestly, it's best for sheep to st- stick together with their flock and with their sheep and with their shepherd to not wander off. Church, the fact of the matter is is that sometimes, just like sheep, and just like the sheep in the Luke 15 passage, we are the one that wanders off from the 99. We know Jesus' voice. We follow his ways for a while, but we become distracted. We get distracted by lots of things, and sometimes that's our career. Sometimes in a year like this, it's incessant news watching or doom scrolling, And sometimes we get distracted by good things, right? It's not always bad things. Sometimes we're distracted by all the different activities and needs of our growing family, right? And just like Craig said last week, this year has exposed a lot of suffering and injustice. And a lot of these injustices have caused us to feel like we're alone or that God is distant or to question why suffering happens at all. Maybe for some of us, it's caused us to question or forget our faith. And in some cases, it might have caused us to walk away from God entirely. But the good news is that God knows we are sheep. He knows we are prone to wander. And that does not stop him from being our shepherd. Our inability to be faithful does not change his covenantal faithfulness to us. God's faithfulness to us has never depended on our faithfulness to him. And God's love and faithfulness to us is not just to individual sheep, but to the whole of the flock. God wants all 100 of his sheep because he's designed us to be the flock. And when one is missing alone or has wandered off into the wilderness, the flock itself is incomplete. And because of that, when we wander, God does what is necessary to bring us back. He's faithful to each of us individually, but he's also faithful to the flock. And he knows each of his sheep by name and he knows when they're lost. He knows your name. He sees you when you're lost. You are not forgotten by him. He does not stop searching for you. He's, it's just not a part of his character to do that. It may not feel like he's going after you in the wilderness, trying to find you, but he is because he promises that he is, and he's a promise keeper. And he does not keep his promises begrudgingly or with a cold disposition, waiting to tell you off the minute that he finds you. He is joyfully faithful. He rejoices over his flock being whole and a community together to the point of celebrating and throwing a party for others when rejoicing. And inviting others in to rejoice. Which means our knowing his voice and following his ways is not meant to be done as a solo sheep. We're not meant to do that out in the woods all by ourselves. It's meant to be done in the flock, in a pasture, with our shepherd, in relationship with him. When Christ goes out and brings us in, it's not just for himself. He brings us into a community with him. That's the beauty of the image of the church as the flock. Christ loves us that much, and when we get him, we get community and family too. Our Good Shepherd invites us, mere sheep who are prone to wander ourselves, into celebrating with him and to be a part of celebrating when he brings back the one in our flock who has wandered off. In John 10, verses 14 and 15, Jesus gets the most explicit here about what all of this really means for him to be a good shepherd and for us to be the flock. He leaves no room for the Pharisees or us to not understand. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This passage is, Is about our relationship with Christ. It's a picture of that. Christ was willing to do what was necessary to lay down his life for us, his sheep, so that we might follow him and have life. Christ is the opposite of the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the opposite of the hired hand who, at the first sight of danger, runs and scatters the flock. Christ willingly put himself in the face of danger, in the hard circumstances. He took on the punishment, the torture, God's wrath, and death so that we might have life and life with him to the full. So that he could be our good shepherd who leads us in green pastures in relationship with him. Freedom and life to the full is found in daily following Christ in and out, in and out of the gate into the pasture with him. Church to follow Christ is not about a bunch of good, uh, doing a bunch of good things in order to graduate from being a sheep so that we can be our own shepherd. It's not about some sort of formula where we maximize and add up the the amount of good things that we can do, the right things that we can do, and subtract out um, all the wrong ones or the bad ones. To follow Christ is to acknowledge that we are mere sheep designed to follow that we need, we, we are so in need of a shepherd and that in Christ we have that good shepherd. To follow Christ is also to wrestle why, with why that's really hard, right? To be the church is to respond to the one who knows us by name, who seeks us out and lays down his life for us. To be the church is to know that we are better together as a flock than individual sheep out in the wilderness alone. Hope Jersey City, let's be a flock that knows Jesus' voice. Let's be a flock that follows his ways. And let's be a flock that celebrates when Christ brings back the one who wanders off.